Peace be upon you. So one of the prophets that God has honored in the Quran is Abraham. In Surah 4 verse 125 it reads, Who is better guided in his religion than one who submits totally to God, leads a righteous life, according to the creed of Abraham monotheism? God has chosen Abraham as a beloved friend. The fact that God is calling Abraham a beloved friend is an amazing honor to be able to be close to God. God further distinguishes him by stating in addition to being a beloved friend, he also was never an idol worshiper. In Surah 3 verse 67 it reads, Abraham was neither Jewish nor Christian. He was a monotheist submitter. He never was an idol worshiper. And this is apparent when we study the history of Abraham. Because most prophets and messengers, we don't really hear much about their youth. But Abraham is slightly different in that regards. That even at his youth, he was debating with the people and justifying the worship of God alone. In Surah 6 verse 74, it reads, Recall that Abraham said to his father Azar, How could you worship statues as gods? I see that you and your people have gone far astray. We showed Abraham the marvels of the heavens and the earth and blessed him with certainty. And then we read the following verses of Abraham trying to show his people that these idols that they're worshiping, these statues, are not worthy of being worshipped. It continues in verse 76, it says, When the night fell, he saw a shiny planet. Maybe this is my Lord, he said. When it disappeared, he said, I do not like gods that disappear. So here he is trying to prove a point to his people. In 77 it reads, when he saw the moon rising, he said, maybe this is my Lord. When it disappeared, he said, unless my Lord guides me, I will be with the strayers. When he saw the sun rising, he said, this must be my Lord. This is the biggest. But when it set, he said, oh, my people, I denounce your idolatry. I have devoted myself absolutely to the one who initiated the heavens and the earth. I will never be an idol worshiper. Here, Abraham is trying to reason with his people that these entities that they're worshiping beside God are powerless, they're utterly useless, that there's nothing they can do to harm or benefit them. And it continues in verse 88, his people argued with him. He said, do you argue with me about God after he has guided me? I have no fear of the idols you set up. Nothing can happen to me unless my Lord wills it. My Lord's knowledge encompasses all things. Would you not take heed? Why should I fear your idols? It is you who should be afraid, since you worship instead of God idols that are utterly powerless to help you. Which side is more deserving of security if you know? Those who believe and do not pollute their belief with idol worship have deserved the perfect security and they are truly guided. And we see that this really came into play, that when Abraham was committed to prove his point by smashing their idols and risking his life, that he absolutely believed that God would protect him, that he had nothing to fear from the idols they set up beside God. And we see that what transpired in Surah 21, verse 51 through 69, it reads, Before that we granted Abraham his guidance and understanding, for we were fully aware of him. He said to his father and his people, What are these statues to which you are devoting yourselves? They said, We found our parents worshiping them. He said, Indeed, you and your parents have gone totally astray. They said, are you telling us the truth or are you playing? He said, your only Lord is the Lord of the heavens and the earth who created them. This is the testimony to which I bear witness. I swear by God, I have a plan to deal with your statues as soon as you leave. He broke them into pieces, except for a big one, that they may refer to it. They said, whoever did this to our gods is really a transgressor. They said, we heard a youth threaten them. He is called Abraham. They said, bring him before the eyes of all the people that they may bear witness. 
They said, did you do this to our gods, O Abraham? He said, it is the big one who did it. Go ask them if they can speak. They were taken back and said to themselves, indeed, you are the ones who have been transgressing. Yet they reverted to their old ideas. You know full well these cannot speak. He said, do you then worship besides God what possesses no power to benefit you or harm you? You have incurred shame by worshiping idols beside God. Do you not understand? They said, burn him and support your gods if this is what you decide to do. We said, O fire, be cool and safe for Abraham. God protected Abraham from the schemes of the disbelievers. But there's something profound here. Notice the level of certainty and guidance that Abraham had at this age. At this point, Abraham still did not receive the Salat. He was not taught how to give the Zakat. The Hajj pilgrimage was not established, nor was Siam fasting. And he didn't even have the Quran. Yet despite all this, Abraham had guidance. And it goes to show that oftentimes we make the mistake of thinking that because we have the Quran, we have the Salat, we have the Zakat, we have this abundance of information, that we are automatically deemed to be more righteous than those who don't. But while these items can get us more access to being righteous, they are not righteousness in themselves. Meaning someone can meet all the requirements to make it to paradise without any of these blessings. And we read this in Surah 2, verse 62. It reads, Surely those who believe, those who are Jewish, the Christians, the converts, anyone who, one, believes in God, two, believes in the last day, and three, leads a righteous life, will receive their recompense from their Lord. They have nothing to fear, nor will they grieve. God has already equipped us with everything we need in order to obtain our salvation. We see the declaration of believing that there is only one God is a natural instinct that God has placed inside the human being. In Surah 7 verse 172 we read, Recall that your Lord summoned all the descendants of Adam and had them bear witness for themselves. Am I not your Lord? They all said, Yes, we bear witness. Thus you cannot say on the day of resurrection, We were not aware of this. Additionally, in Surah 30, verse 30, God tells us that monotheism is a natural instinct. It reads, Therefore, you shall devote yourself to the religion of strict monotheism. Such is the natural instinct placed into the people by God. Such creation of God will never change. This is the perfect religion, but most people do not know. Before our coming to this world, God has instilled us with the understanding of worship of God alone, that this is the natural instinct. Additionally, in Surah 91, verse 7 and 8, we read that God taught us how to distinguish, again, this is innate quality, good versus evil. It says, the soul in him who created it then showed it what is evil and what is good. And the Arabic word used in Surah 91, verse 8 is fa'alhamaha, which means then he placed innate knowledge. And this is what we're all born with this innate knowledge of distinguishing between good and evil. The problem is that most people's connection with God quickly becomes corroded as they go through life and they're inundated with satanic viewpoints. Eventually, they may grow to accept these counter ideas and this will cause that instinctive knowledge that God placed in them to become corrupted and cause them to fail to be able to distinguish correctly right from wrong. But for those who are able to preserve their integrity, like Abraham, they will be able to recognize the truth from God and act on it naturally. So what distinguishes someone who has this ability compared to one who has lost it?
A clue is given to us in the following verse from uh, earlier regarding Abraham and his youth. In 2151, again, it reads, Before that, we granted Abraham his guidance and understanding, for we were fully aware of him. Meaning that God saw goodness inside Abraham, and because of this, that he gave him this guidance at such an early age. There's only a single requirement that a person needs in order to receive guidance from God. And that one single requirement is sincerity. If our hearts are sincere, then God will guide us by virtue of our faith. In Surah 10 verse 9, it reads, As for those who believe and lead a righteous life, their Lord guides them by virtue of their belief. Rivers will flow beneath them in gardens of bliss. Whatever it is that our heart contains, be it sincerity or insincerity, belief or hypocrisy, God is going to guide us by virtue of whatever it is that we believe. This guidance will allow us to be able to recognize the truth and justice when we see it. In Surah 22 verse 54 it reads, Those who are blessed with knowledge will recognize the truth from your Lord, then believe in it, and their hearts will readily accept it. Most assuredly, God guides the believers in the right path. Mean that if we have sincerity, we're going to be able to see and identify the truth, and we're going to gravitate towards it. In Surah 2 verse 146, it reads, Those who receive the scripture recognize the truth herein, as they recognize their own children. Yet some of them conceal the truth knowingly. When we see our kids, we automatically recognize them. God has placed love in our hearts for our children. And similarly, when we see the truth, if our hearts are pure, if our hearts are sincere, we're going to recognize it and we're going to have this love and affection towards the truth. Someone who is sincere in their faith when presented with the Quran will recognize the truth and wholeheartedly accept it without objection. In Surah 56 verse 77 through 79 it reads, This is an honorable Quran in a protected book. None can grasp it except the sincere. Meaning that if we're sincere, if we trust in God, that when we see the revelation of God, via this Quran, we will happily accept it. And this is the beauty of guidance, is that when we have sincerity in our heart, God is going to guide us in the right path. Now that we know this, the challenge is, how do we judge our own sincerity? How can we determine if we're being sincere? Because there are people who accept the Quran, yet lack sincerity. And we should all fear that we could possibly be in this camp. And while I can cite verses from the Quran to show the criteria of a sincere person, the problem with such an approach is who's to say that I'm sincere or I'm understanding the verses correctly? So what I want to do is look at some high-level questions that we can ask ourselves to gauge our sincerity. Hopefully these are questions that anyone can universally accept that if someone is sincere, how they would answer to such a question. So the first question is, have you read the Quran from cover to cover in a language you understand? It's interesting how many people argue about the Quran, despite never having read it from cover to cover in a language they understand. One would think if a person believes that this Quran is from God, and that this is God's communication to mankind, that the person would be eager to open it up and read it rigorously in the language they understand for themselves. But it's fascinating how many people are blindly following what others tell them is inside this book, rather than doing the due diligence to open up the book and assess it for themselves. 
It's worth pointing out that the first revelation of the Quran is to read, and that God teaches by means of the pen. We see this written in Surah 96, verse 1 through 5. It says, Read in the name of your Lord who created, he created man from an embryo. Read in your Lord most exalted, teaches by means of a pen. He teaches man what he never knew. If we want to learn from God, and God calls himself the teacher of the Quran, per Surah 55, verse 1, then we have to be able to open up this book and read it for ourselves. If we're blindly following what other people tell us, then it shows that we are lacking in sincerity. In Surah 73 verse 4, it tells us that we are to read the Quran from cover to cover. And the Arabic uses the term tartil. Tartil means to read in entirety and specifically to read with dedication and attention to what is being stated. If this is a commandment from the Quran and we're not upholding it, then how can we possibly say we're sincere? Almost daily, I engage with people who argue with me that my understanding on some topic of the Quran is wrong, which is fine because I might be wrong. But what is interesting is that more often than not, these people have never read the Quran a single time from cover to cover for themselves in a language they understand. More often than not, they're just regurgitating what they heard or grew up understanding. In Surah 2, verse 170 through 171, it reads, When they're told, follow what God has revealed herein, they say, we follow only what we found our parents doing. What if their parents did not understand and were not guided? The example of such disbelievers is that of parrots who repeat what they hear of sounds and calls without understanding. Death, dumb, and blind, they cannot understand. So the first sign of sincerity, if we want to say that, yes, we believe in this Quran, is the fact that we read it for ourselves. Because if we're only going off what others have told us or what our preconceptions are, it shows that we're lacking in sincerity. The second question that is worth asking is, are you looking at the Quran to confirm what you already believe? Or are you looking to the Quran to learn what God said about a matter? Oftentimes, people will flip through the verses of the Quran to look for a verse to justify whatever stance that they currently believe. So if the Quran only confirms all our pre-existing beliefs, then it's probably a sign that we are probably not being sincere. It's worth pointing out that God informs us after commanding the believers to read the Quran from cover to cover, that it says in Surah 73 verse 5, we will give you a heavy message. If we finish reading the Quran, and think that we understood everything and did not have verses, raise questions for understanding, then again, it's probably a sign that we're not being sincere. In Surah 11, verse 12, it tells us, it says, you may wish to disregard some of that which is revealed to you, and you may be annoyed by it. If we're reading the Quran and it only confirms everything we already know, and it's not questioning any of these conceptions that we had previously, then again, we're probably being insincere. We're looking at it in a very superficial light. The reality is that reading the Quran should raise just as many questions as it has answers. The text contains infinite amounts of knowledge in a fixed volume. In Surah 20, verse 114, it reads, Most exalted is God, the only true King. Do not rush into uttering the Quran before it is revealed to you and say, My Lord, increase my knowledge. When we read the Quran, we should constantly be looking for answers of what God is telling us rather than just looking for answers to confirm what it is that we already believe. The second we do that, again, it's showing that we're being insincere. And this takes us to the third question. 
Are you judging the verses of the Quran or allowing the verses of the Quran to judge your behavior? Once we confirm that the Quran is the book of God for all mankind, then we must realize that the Quran is not here to be judged by us, but it is here to judge us. In Surah 4 verse 105, it reads, We have sent down to you the scripture truthfully in order to judge among the people in accordance with what God has shown you. You shall not side with the betrayers. We read the Quran to understand how God is judging us as human beings, not for us to read the Quran to judge its verses. In Surah 4 verse 65, it reads, Never indeed by your Lord they are not believers, unless they come to you to judge in their disputes, then find no hesitation in their hearts whatsoever in accepting your judgment. They must submit a total submission. Meaning that if we have a dispute and we go to the verses of the Quran, that whatever judgment God has dictated for us, we accept it wholeheartedly. We don't object. We don't try to find ways to circumvent what God states in the Quran. The fourth question to ask ourselves is, can you understand how someone else can come to a different position regarding some topic? Often when I'm discussing Quran with someone, I ask them if they can understand from the evidence that I provided how I came to my conclusion. And naturally, if they disagree with me on my premise, they're going to have a very hard time to acknowledge, to understand how I came to my conclusion. And it's not to ask them to accept my conclusion, to give any credence to my conclusion, but to merely acknowledge how I came to that understanding. And most people, you'll find that they won't even be willing to put themselves in your shoes to look at the evidence to see how you came to the conclusion you did. If we are incapable of putting ourselves in the shoes of others to try to see things how they see it, then we will really stunt our ability to expand our knowledge. And again, this has to do with sincerity. If we're sincere, we shouldn't be scared about what we might see or discover. If someone has a different viewpoint, we listen to it. If there's something of benefit, we take it. And if there isn't, hopefully we use that position to better understand why it is we believe what we believe. Now, let's take an extreme example, that of Satan, and his claim that God willed him to go astray. So when God commanded the angels to fall prostrate and Satan refused, he said, since you willed that I go astray. Now, this statement is 100% false. It's an absolute lie. But by understanding how Satan came to this viewpoint, we can better understand God's system. And to say that, A, I acknowledge how he came to understand this, and these are the reasons that that understanding is wrong, all it does is it strengthens our own understanding. And we have nothing to lose from that. So when someone comes with an understanding that I 100% disagree with, I have no problem trying to understand how they came to that understanding. And I do not feel like I'm giving validity to the claim by simply acknowledging their thought process. But I see a lot of people fall into this misconception that acknowledging a different viewpoint means that we are accepting or giving any credibility to that viewpoint. The reason I think a lot of people who have good intentions fall into this trap is because they conflate tolerance with compromise. These two concepts are not the same. I can be 100% tolerant and still 100% uncompromising. I can understand 100% how a person came to their position and still hold 100% to my own understanding.
In Surah 7, verse 198 through 201, it reads, When you invite them to the guidance they do not hear, and you see them looking at you, but they do not see, you shall resort to pardon, advocate tolerance, and disregard the ignorant. When the devil whispers to you any whisper, you seek refuge in God, he is here omniscient. Those who are righteous, whenever the devil approaches them with an idea, they remember, whereupon they become seers. As believers, we listen to all viewpoints, but we stay 100% committed to God alone. By understanding how other people came to their conclusions, we're either going to be able to learn from that or, in essence, be able to better understand our position to why it is we believe what we believe. And the fifth question that we can ask ourselves to determine if we are being sincere is, is there any criteria that will convince you that you are wrong? There is a concept known as falsification. When I make a claim, in order to be able to prove if my claim is true or false, there must be a counterclaim that can be made that if that one is true, therefore my claim must be false. And this is a tactic that God uses in the Quran. In Surah 22, verse 73, it reads, O people, here is a parable that you can, must ponder carefully. The idols you set up beside God can never create a fly, even if they banded together to do so. Furthermore, if the fly steals anything from them, they cannot recover it. Weak is the pursuer in the pursued. Here is a claim that God is making that the disbelievers are incapable of creating a fly on their own. And because of this, if someone wants to prove the Quran wrong, they can take up this challenge. But we see there's other verses in Surah 28 verse 49. It says, Say, then produce a scripture from God with better guidance than the two, so I can follow it if you are truthful. And this is in response to believers who denounce the Quran and the Torah. That God is challenging them. That if there's a book from God with better guidance, then produce it so we can follow it. And there's another uh, claim that's made. It's in Surah 2, verse 23. It says, If you have any doubt regarding what we reveal to our servant, then produce one surah like these and call upon your witnesses against God if you are truthful. It's worth noting that this statement is made in Surah 2, which is an Alif Lam Mim uh, Surah. And we see similar statements in Surah 10, verse 38 and 11, verse 3, which happen to be Alif Lam Ra Surahs that this challenge is not just regarding the linguistic excellence of the Qur'an or even the physical facts that are in the Qur'an, but also the mathematical composition of the Qur'an. And this is a mechanism God is utilizing to show that the words in this Qur'an are truthful, that He's giving statements that if these can be proved false, therefore we are to abandon this book. But we know for a fact that because we trust in God and the words in this book, that such individuals will not be able to produce such claims. And what's the conclusion of all this? Is the fact that when we're sincere, again, we can identify, we can look at, and we can gravitate towards what's just and what's truthful. And if we're fixed in our ways and never listen to other viewpoints, then we will never grow in understanding. God calls this a curse in the Quran. In Surah 2 verse 88, it says, Some would say our minds are made up. Instead, it is a curse from God as a consequence of their disbelief that keeps them from believing except for a few of them. That once we put our fingers in our ears and we refuse to accept any other information, to evaluate any other information, then it's showing that we don't really have sincerity. And the challenge is that oftentimes we equate all our beliefs with the same level of confidence as our core foundational beliefs, that of 
worshiping God alone, the oneness of God, the fact that there's going to be a day of judgment, that we're going to be held responsible for the actions and deeds we did in this life. If I hold all my beliefs to that same level of certainty, then I'm never going to be able to expand in understanding. And a lot of times you see individuals who are believers who follow the Quran, but they will hold certain other beliefs with the same level of conviction as their belief in the oneness of God. For instance, they'll debate arduously regarding the identity of Moses' uh, uh, father-in-law that was the same as uh, Shweb, or who the identity of Zolkarnain was. And these details that God didn't specify verbatim. Now, it's fine to have a strong opinion on this, but when we start clouding our judgment and our egos get the best of us, then when we're presented with evidence that's contrary to what we thought we believed, we're not going to accept it and we're going to be stagnant in our belief. The criteria of a sincere believer is that they examine all words. In Surah 39, verse 18, it says, They are the ones who examine all words, then follow the best. These are the ones whom God has guided. These are the ones who possess intelligence. Again, to recap, while it's a blessing to have the Salat, the Zakat, the Quran, all these uh, rites and rituals from our religion, all this information that we're in, uh, inundated with, the reality is if we don't have sincerity, if our faith is not virtuous and pure, all these are not going to benefit us. Because at the end of the day, God is going to guide us by virtue of our belief. And the way that we can determine if we're being sincere is the fact that we kill our egos, that we evaluate information, that we think critically about these topics, that we don't go in with preconceived notions. And to recap on these questions, the very first one was, again, have you read the Quran from cover to cover in a language you understand? The second question is, are you looking at the Quran to confirm what you already believe? Or are you looking at the Quran to learn what God said about the matter? And the third question is, are you judging the verses of the Quran or allowing the verses of the Quran to judge your behavior? And the fourth question was, can you understand how someone else can come to a different position than what it is you currently believe? And the fifth one, is there any criteria that will convince you that you might be wrong? If we can go through these questions and have a clear conscience that yes, we answer correctly for all these, then God willing, we are going to be sincere and God willing, God will show us the right answers and God will guide us to the truth. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk@gmail.com. If you want to join our community, we're being very active on Discord, and you can find the invite link below. If you want to follow the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And until next time, peace and God bless.